Growing up, I once lived in a small town about 15 miles east of Edgeburg. Of course, my family traveled around a lot with the war happening, so we only got to stay in each place for a year or two before orders would come in to move on. So I've forgotten most of the places I've lived there. Streets, the people there, the flowers, whatever. All of it just kind of a wild smear of color and music in the back of my memory. But Fielder, now I remember that place. And for one specific reason. That lady. We'd moved to Fielder when I was about the age of seven, I guess. It was the third time we'd have to move since I'd learned to be social with the other kids, so... It wasn't too hard for me to transition. Still a bit painful, of course, but then moving will always be painful to someone who isn't universally reviled in the place they've left. Dad had me called up to build something else. It was good money, as usual, so my parents managed to grab their own place before our old house had sold, some ancient two-story house near the edge of town, but just close enough to the nearest school that my mom felt like I could walk there in the morning without her getting worried. Looking back, the house we'd purchased was a rather dingy place. The roof tiles were falling off, there were water stains along the walls, and everything creaked. But when I was a kid, I just really loved it. There were so many odd nooks and crannies, and everything squeaked a little when you opened and closed it, and the stairs shrieked a little when even my little feet put pressure on them. It was the perfect environment for ghosts, goblins, and all those other sorts of little beasties kids like to entertain themselves with. Nearly every night I'd bolt under the covers at the sound of some floorboard contracting in the cold, dreading and yet simultaneously hoping for a little gray or green head to poke around the edge of my door and just scare the heck out of me. I would have been satisfied with a little poltergeist action, you know, one of my toys being thrown against the wall, the doors opening and closing on their own. Anything like that would have satisfied a little bit of my lust for adventure. But I never got it. At least, I never got anything that I didn't imagine. I went to school, I played with my friends, I came back home to play with my imaginary ghoul friends. Ordinary stuff for an honestly good childhood. Then, she moved in next door. I hadn't paid much attention to the place until her dingy little car pulled up beside it. It was a real tiny place, near the interior of the building covered in clinging ivies. My parents had no idea that someone was moving in either. You know, we'd already been there a couple of months and we'd never seen a for sale sign or any other car pull into the weed infested driveway, and yet there she was. One day not there, well, next day, well, here. I was the first to see her from my upstairs bedroom. I'd grown used to the sounds of Dad's car rolling out into the street. It made the same exact purr as it belched exhaust out into the air, but this time the sound was different. I thought that maybe we were having visitors, and I was sort of mad that I was going to have to take a spontaneous bath. But then I saw her, her elderly frame arching itself out of the car door in a way that seemed a little too smooth for any of the older folks that I'd ever seen before. That wasn't the problem, of course. Something was off about the liveness of her motions, sure, but something was off about her hair, true, and her skin was a bit off as well as though it had alternated between being stuck many miles below the surface and spending long days picking crops in the sun. Sure, that was odd. But the oddest thing? I was staring at her from a good 30, maybe 40 feet away, high up in the air. And she turned and looked at me. And smiled. That smile. 
If I hadn't thought she was odd before, now I was convinced we were having the devil set up shop right next door to us. There was something about that smile. It curved in the way a genuine smile should. Her eyes were bright, maybe even brighter than you would have expected from an aging lady, but it was the holes. Tiny black dots that I could barely make out lined the edge of her mouth in some sort of indecipherable pattern. I immediately retreated from the window and huddled behind my bed. I knew those holes. When I was really young, I think three and a half years old, I thought it was a good idea to taunt her old neighbor's dog, you know, yank its tail, grab its fur, the usual mindless stuff brutish kids do. The dog was named Ruffles, I think. It was a little thing, probably no bigger than present me's forearm, but its jaws were still tough enough to sink deep into my skin. I'd cried and cried, not realizing the moral justice of the situation, of course. My parents heard and rushed me straight to the hospital. Well, over more of my crying, the stoic nurse sewed my skin back together. I'd at least been wise enough not to pick at the threads before the wound healed, but when they were taken out, they left those exact same black bumps, little permanent scars I'm carrying around to this very day. And she had those exact same dots around her lips. I know, I know, there was nothing I should have gotten scared about. That's... But, you know, that's using logic which didn't work here. Sure, we as adults understand that anyone could be injured around the lips, and anyone wounded in such a manner would need stitches, and we shouldn't judge them for that. That's, that's the logical, empathetic solution to my past fears. But I'd tell you, there was something about those holes that told my child me that the stitches should never have been removed, but that they were still healing. I, I, I knew. I was paranoid and fantastical, but... Each day, I passed her house on the way to school, and each day she'd give me the same smile from just beyond the fence. That same terrible smile. It wasn't cruel or anything. It wasn't even very happy, or even that sort of passive-aggressive smile you get from old ladies when they meet for bridge and desperately want to trounce the others. The smile simply was, and it followed me on my way out every morning and every afternoon back home. At first, I'd say hello to her. She sometimes said hello back, but really softly, as though old age had deprived her of the usefulness of her throat. But no matter what, she'd still be smiling that same horribly vacant smile. After about, say, a week, my parents decided to bring her some cookies as a housewarming gift so that they'd have a chance to talk to her and find out what she was all about. They wanted me to come, of course, but I protested. I was ready to throw a tantrum so that I wouldn't have to be dragged over to the place, but the usual protestations of needing to finish my homework and feeling tired were enough. So I sat in my room and watched from above as my parents rang her doorbell. The door slithered open without the indication of a hand, and they waltzed right in, never even noticing the fearful look in my eyes, or noticing that I was watching them at all. I watched the door off and on for most of the night. I tried to distract myself with my Nintendo, and yes, even my homework. Those didn't work, and my eyes kept popping back to that door. A cowardly portion of my mind feared they'd never come back through, but they did with smiles and half a plate of cookies. Mrs. Buttersby was her name, they told me. She'd been a nurse back in England, then married some U.S. Army vet who died a few years ago. 
She was here to retire, they said. I almost believed them. She gave me that same smile the next day. I called out to her by name. She called out to me by mine. I was only surprised at first. My parents probably told her about me. You know, that that's usual conversation stuff. Oh, I have a child. But still, her smile didn't waver, not an inch. Same on the way home. Her eyes slid to and fro, but her smile, that, you know, that terrible, once-closed smile. I finally decided to go to school by a slightly longer route, bypassing Mrs. Buttersby entirely. A week passed. Another. I still had nightmares about her, her bloody, sewn-together lips trying to conjure some curse on me in the middle of the night. Being the young kid that I was, I didn't dismiss these dreams as symptoms of paranoia and just kept staying away. I never went out into our backyard, not even when my parents wanted me to take the trash out. They thought I was just being lazy and grounded me. But every night it was the same thing, a cold sweat before bed, and, and to them the dream. I saw her lips being shut by an unknown hand, needle and thread sliding straight through skin. But there was no blood and no cry of pain. She just sat there, smiling. The horror of it all would often wake me up in the middle of the night. I'd play games with the volume turned all the way down to distract me enough to calm down and go back to bed. But then February 12th came. We'd had a snow flurry and school had been cancelled. I spent the morning playing in the frost, but then didn't bother with this stuff after 12pm. The whole day I didn't see Mrs. Butterspoon. My parents quipped about how old people always have a hard time in the cold. I got a little mad at myself that I was glad the cold kept her away. I made a decent snowman, drank some lovely hot cocoa, and played some more games. Any child's dream day, basically. Then I went to sleep, a little earlier than usual. Played out, I guess. I awoke in an odd time, somewhere between midnight and three. You know those hours where not even a sliver of light peeks through the cracks of the window, and you know it's wrong for you to be awake, even with your crusted eyes, you know, just still sitting there shut. I didn't want to open them. I wanted to go back to sleep, but there was a sound. Very quiet and high-pitched, almost like the sound of a mouse from far away. I couldn't tell what it was. Maybe it was the heater, but it hadn't made a sound like that before. Maybe there was a car really far away that was having engine troubles. Maybe it was... I opened my eyes. Nothing but the ceiling and the little fan. The fan was creaking a bit, spinning around real slow like it had been turned on and off a long time ago, and was only just now coming to a halt. I hadn't remembered the ceiling fan making a creak like that. Heck, I never remembered anyone turning it on at all. It really was a cold night. <laughs> but hey, the ceiling fan was coming to a halt, and it was making a sound. A bit peeved, I just went back to sleep. I dreamed of school for a little while, then a really green, almost verdant planet really far away. It must have been something like that. Those artist illustrations I'd seen in my science magazines. But there were people there too, and those people... Dots. I woke up in a sweat. It was really hot in my room, but I couldn't hear the heater. Maybe like 83 degrees. I got up and turned the fan on, and then went straight back to sleep. It could have been earlier than three o'clock at this point. The same lightless landscape. 
No more dreams this time, just the hum of my fan slowly drawing to a halt. And another sound, too, very similar, like a rat squeak or someone breathing between their teeth. She was standing right beside me. I didn't need my eyes to tell me that. Hello, little dear. She whispered to me in a voice that was... What even was it? It dripped with sweetness, like it was a cherry coated in chocolate, but even so, it was distorted, almost as though... I opened my eyes. Those holes weren't holes anymore. Her lips were stitched together. I wanted to scream. I wanted God to smite her from the heavens. I wanted to run away. But there she was. Anyway, I turned, her slouched figure, with sewn shut lips, stared right back at me. And that smile... It's time, dear, she said in that same hypnotic voice. Her lips barely twitched, but the words were clear as day. Time, time for what? I asked. Time for what was promised. Her lips somehow spread even deeper into a smile, and yet her stitches barely twitched. I didn't ask what she meant by any of this. She didn't seem to want to explain. So we sat there, me shaking to bits of my bed, she standing right there, a living demon. I had to call my parents. I had to call them. I... I had to call them. Mom. Dad. I squeaked. It should have been a yell, but it wasn't. It was barely louder than the little squeal of the ceiling fan's gears grinding against each other. Time. Mrs. Butterby said without changing her tone. Mom. Dad. I tried again. The sound almost reached the door. Time, she said, and drew one finger close to my lips. It was wrinkled and old and crimson. Mom! Dad! The sound died just before it hit their ears. Time. The finger was on my lips. It burned hotter than that time I'd scarred myself on the oven. Mom! Dad! I howled. I could hear frantic shuffling from the other room. I lifted my fist to punch the demon straight in the face, but she wasn't there. She was at the window, still smiling. Time, she said. Sanguine digit raised to her sewn-together lips as a gesture for silence. She jumped straight out. The window had never been opened. Jeremy! My dad cried as he burst into my room, and only to find me shivering in my bed. What is it? I couldn't explain. How could I? I had seen firsthand the first layer of hell, and I was supposed to describe it back here in the sanity of Earth. I couldn't. I was grounded for a week. In that week, I got plenty of time to look at myself in the mirror. One little dot just above the left edge of my lips... Not a mole, not a beauty mark, but a dot. Maybe even a hole marking something once there, now gone. Mrs. Buttersby, if she ever really had a name, moved out sometime when I was grounded. I never saw her move boxes. I never saw her smile or wave at me as I walked to school. And yet, every time I passed by that damned gate, I could feel the vague impression of someone smiling at me. And here we are today. 
I myself would like to think the tale I was spinning was absolute madness if it had followed me here. Those dots aren't birthmarks, nor are they even freckles. You felt weird when you saw them, right? It's gotten to five. I've tried everything. I tattooed over them. I got laser removal. I bleached my own blessed skin. I grafted new flesh upon them. Went to holy men from every faith under the sun. And they followed me the whole way. So, I've got a few options, I think. I commit suicide. Not doing that. I like my life. I like living. I cut off my own lips. Horrifying, I know. But the last option? I don't know what the last option is. I only know that it will be time for what was promised.